This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, my cat-loving friends. We met somebody new today. Rita and I are going to be chatting with Brian Cortis. He is a community cat manager, and he coordinates these activities. He has been very, very active in TNR and rescue, and he has currently been helping with coordinating the cat rescue activities in Maui. So he's a New York attorney, now living in Maui, TNR and Cats, and we got to find out how that transformation happened. So we'll be right back afterward from our sponsor. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. I'm your co-host, Linda Hall, here with the gorgeous, the wonderful, my my favorite cat-loving human who turned me on to the love of cat behavior, my BFF, <laughs> Rita Rhymers. Yay! I still remember the day you said, Rita, I have four cats. I'm not telling anybody. And I went, four? <laughs> Lightweight. Exactly. But enough about me. I want to talk with Brian. Yeah, I say Brian's coordinating Brian. a lot more cats than we dreamt of. So let's get on to this and one. You're yes. in a location that's near and dear to my heart. I love Maui. I hope I get to go back there again someday. Tell us what's happening there in Maui. We call it Meowie. Meowie. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. Okay, I'm, I'm calling I it that, from that. Now on. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're never going to call it anything else after that. Okay, continue. We have to relocate to Maui. Yeah. So, well, what's happening right now, I guess everybody's heard of the Maui wildfire that, you know, devastated the uh, town of Lahaina. So in the weeks afterwards, uh, it's a lot of frustration. The emergency officials wouldn't let animal rescuers into the zone for about three weeks. <gasps> so there, there weren't a lot of animals coming out and they sort of concluded it. And you can almost understand this when you are in there and you see it. They didn't think any animals survived because most of it is literally ashes. So they, they finally, after three weeks, they let a search and rescue team in. And they, in three days, they trapped like 90 cats. And wow. I wonder how they survived without food and water, Brian. Well, here's the thing. The search and rescue team was done. And then they asked us at Neighborhood Cats to take over because they assumed that there were just a few cats left here and there. and We would go in and trap them to pick them off. 500 cats still in there when we went in and we think what happened is they all ran into the storm drain system when the fire started and survived and then came out afterwards 
And um, how did they survive those three weeks? Uh, I think a lot of people were sneaking in and leaving yeah. food and water. Yes. There was a you know, little bit of predation going on, but they're incredibly resilient animals. And, and you know, when we got in after three weeks, they, they, were, they were not looking great right yeah you know um we immediately set up feeding stations uh like 75 of them all over the burn zone that got filled um, pretty much daily with uh, big pans of food and water and they recovered very quickly so they're actually the ones that are still in there now are, are coming out pretty healthy in fact the trappers give us a hard time because uh, a lot of them are pretty fat they're like we can't trap them because they're not hungry you know and we're like yeah but look how happy and healthy they are you know and the, <laughs> was it a combination of feral cats and also people's cats whose homes have burned down what kind of yeah. cats did you find all oh, both of them okay well it's it's really hard to distinguish because all the cats um whether they're community cats or pet cats in on maui almost almost i'd say over 90 percent of them live outdoors or, or indoor outdoor um and they're all marked uh with ear tips so you you can't tell a community cat from a pet cat by looking at them uh, so it, it's become very difficult to identify and our focus at this point there's so there were so many cats in the burn zone that the local shelter system, the Maui Humane Society, can't handle them all at once without right. completely crashing the system. So they can only come out as there are places for them to go. And that requires maintaining them in the meantime. So we've had a priority system where we the cats we're trapping now are um, pets that have been identified by owners or cats that were sick or injured or, or very young uh, kittens. And um, we've started to switch over to trapping by locations and clearing out areas. But the last couple of months have been pulling out pets and, and injured cats. And an awful lot of these cats have owners. And, and you know, uh, we've had a lot of very happy reunions, as you can imagine. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, if you've been able to um, reunify pets and uh, their owners. Yeah, the one very very touching story that happened this week was that this this poor woman, um, her house burned to the ground, and she didn't know if her little uh, cat named named Gray had uh, survived. But every night uh, be that she was allowed in, she went to her house and she put a little cat bed in the front and some treats, and she did this every single night, not knowing if her cat was alive. And then we have a, a pretty sophisticated camera system and we caught her cat on camera. And so she, she, you know, all of a sudden she realized, wow, you know, my baby is, is, is still here. Her cat has a collar with a couple of bells on it. So we nicknamed her Tinkerbell because we could always, oh. the, the trappers could always tell when she was in the area. <laughs> the coming. Start, right. But she was very smart and she obviously, uh, she had found, um, a couple of places to go eat and she had a lot of cat friends and they lived near a park and she was not interested in us catching her <laughs> <laughs> and it took it took it took the trappers several nights and all sorts of tricks before they finally uh brought her oh. in i just know, can't i'm getting emotional even listening to this i had an escape a little over a year ago and of all the cats to go it's my fiv boy that i worry about the most 
he was gone about three weeks. I cannot put words to the emotions that I felt. I was convinced he was dead. I was, oh, she really was. <laughs> I really was. Rita knows. Oh, Rita sure. was my sounding board at that time. I was convinced he was dead. But even worse than being convinced he was dead was the fear that he was out there being harmed. He's such a gentle, darling soul. I was in more pain. I think I decided he was dead just to save myself the turmoil of wondering what was happening well, to him. For closure. Yeah. Oh, the feeling among my entire family when he was found. I have a picture of my son who was like almost 18 at the time. And, you know, he's manly. And he's like, <laughs> so, you know, I just, when you said three weeks, okay, not only have I gone through what I went through with Kismet, but if I've lost my home and my belongings and all my pictures, and I mean, it is the most tumultuous thing I can imagine. And where's my child? Right. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. And then to find that some important piece of your life was not lost and, and is one back. Of the most yeah. important. It's, it's, yes. Yeah, I noticed it, one of your caps has joined us, Brian. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, behind that's, you. That's Walter. <laughs> Hi, Walter. I love Yeah, I yeah love we have a lot of we have a lot of Siamese mix on the streets here. And he, he he's one of them. So we got him as a little little kitten. And so um, cute. Yeah, you know, he's uh, you know, another foster failure, right? He's he's Guilty. the sweetest yeah, sweetest, happiest cat does not want you to pick him up. You know, it's got to be on his terms. Sure. So, that makes you know, sense. Like, oh, he was okay. out on the street. He knows the boogeyman's a real thing and he could get attacked. And if you're picking him up, he's vulnerable. He cannot fight or flight. So he's not <laughs> having it until he's in the mood and has decided it's safe to cuddle. We see that yeah. a lot. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, from a behavioral standpoint. Shelter reject. Yeah. <laughs> what amazes me is that these cats have formed an alliance because out in nature a lot of time cats don't do that they're trying to chase each other off to you know make sure they have their own resources but it sounds like you said that they actually kind of came together as a group of kitties as a big clouder yeah i mean that's our common experience you know having done um, trap new to return for for 20 years now is uh, most street cats form very tight social groups even if they're not related you know by birth but if they have a common food source and a common territory they they develop very strong bonds and um we typically don't find community cats living by themselves we we typically find them in groups and so what like in the burn zone what we by setting up these feeding stations we force them to congregate and form a clouder and then uh, that makes trapping you know then we can monitor them more easily and and trap them more easily but well you guys must know you with with your own um households yeah. right they form friendships and bonds they do they and do. bonds you know, definitely they're very social definitely yeah the the idea of a cat as a lone as a loner is really a myth they're they're actually extremely social oh yeah it's that is such a myth and it's so wrong you know cats, you they, they need that? a social structure do you think they got that because the male cats go out and hunt by themselves? So they see this one cat and they're like, oh, cats are solitary. They're not seeing what's going on in their actual territory, right? In that bush behind, the, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, you you know, if you if you get a female cat, an, uh, an older female cat who's used to living alone there, you, right? You, well, you would know as a behaviorist, right? That's the hardest kind of cat to integrate with. Other yes, ones. indeed. <laughs> So sometimes you leave them alone, but most cats, in my experience, enjoy the company of other they other do. felines. Definitely. Once they get over the initial, you know, deciding who's alpha and who's the boss mm -hmm. and where your pecking order is. But it's just amazing that the the domesticated 
if you can call them Dacian cats, the pet cats and the feral cats form such tight alliances. That's really amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. They they I in in my experience, like if you want to bring in a cat into your household who is going to bond with the other cats, you're better off with a feral cat. That they're more uh they bond faster. Um they're used to the groups and the that is true and, and, that makes sense. Yeah. i have I a really feral and a semi-feral and you're exactly right they did both bond with the other cats very quickly there was a lady who had a rescue in north carolina and she set out to tnr this huge colony Her rescue and um she caught a few of them and as she approached this one's cage he's like purring and rubbing on it and she's like dude you're not feral but <laughs> he was hanging around with the ferals like to find that community and get those resources, right? And he was bonded to a truly feral girl. We adopted her because I don't break up bonded pairs. But my husband months later said, I don't understand the purpose of this cat. We feed the cat. We scoop up after the cat. We can't touch the cat. Don't look at the cat. Don't disturb the cat. If cat's on the bed, <laughs> don't get out of the bed. Why is this cat here? And I said, that's Kismet's cat, right? Like it has nothing to do with us. Exactly. And they were always cuddled up together on a cash any place was built for one suddenly became two they were like the yin and yang of cats they were in love <laughs> yeah your husband was asking the wrong question it, it should have been what is my purpose yeah uh, that is a true story <laughs> you are your purpose is to right. provide food you are 100 <laughs> right he's getting there when i first mentioned cats he said i don't like cats he grew up on a farm had this idea of barn cat kind of thing and I don't remember what he said. He said something to me yesterday. Oh, he asked me. He um, saw some cinnamon broom kind of things or pine cones. And he said, hey, I was looking at these. Is that safe to bring in for the cats? And I was like, wow. <laughs> Usually I'm correcting him after the fact. Down. Now yeah. he's being, he's thinking like a cat. Oh, and I'm kind of like, yep. Oh, what we have started. And he's always snuggling with the cat. But if you catch him at it and say, wait, I thought you were a cat hater, he'll tell you it's a dog. He's a cat. We have 11 dogs. <laughs> so, Brian, how many cats do you think are still out there that need to be trapped and identified, spayed, neutered, getting returned to their owners, etc.? Uh, we estimate about 250. You know, that not so you guys have count, made quite but... a dent then. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, uh, I would estimate at least, uh, at least a third. You know, well, we've brought out about 185, and so about 250 to 300 left is our based on camera. You know, we do a lot of camera studies, um, so we're you know a little more than a third, and about getting close to halfway there. So you know, Rita and I keep taking like neither Rita nor I had any intention of having 17, 11 cats, but they keep landing on our doorstep. Or this cat's going to get euthanized if we don't come get it quick. Let me grab my keys. It's always something. And no matter how many cats we've taken in, we struggle to focus on how many we've helped. We're still seeing the cats we haven't helped. And we're like, when you said that about the cats, it's, ha like, it's hard. Send me the cats. Brian, I'll take the cats. Like, you know, <laughs> my husband will leave me. But yeah, you know, I know I don't want more cats, but yeah, bring me the cats because we got to help. It's very hard to ever feel accomplished in what we do as far as rescue goes. I can't imagine how i go home because i will not focus on the fact that i just saved 185 cats i'll focus <laughs> on the, how many are left in there and i'll want to stay up all night and get them and, and, I'll kill and that's a trap all rescuers face well that is exactly my thought like everyone in rescue and, and tnr and anything cat welfare related needs the answer on how you manage this so 
we're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a real distinction between people who are focused on TNR and people who are focused on rescue, even though there's often a lot of overlap. So with TNR, you, you're looking at um, more the, the overall system and the environment. And um, so, so you're trying to bring down the cat population. You're, you're trying to improve things for future generations and you know do the best you can for the cats that are there now but prevent future cats from having to go through the same experience and and so um that's the whole focus of spay and neuter whereas rescuers tend to focus on individual animals and what is the best possible and, and devote all their resources to that one cat and that's real important too it's kind of like the analogy i use is is it's real important to have, you know, firefighters, you know, people who are out there and getting the hose and putting out the fire. But it's just as important to have people who build fire stations. So if everybody was out there putting out fires, that wouldn't work. So if everybody was a rescuer and nobody was thinking about, well, maybe I shouldn't trap those kittens right now because it will delay too long getting the mom and the dad fixed. Or maybe I have to think about helping the first cat that crosses my path. But which one, which group of cats can I help that will have the greatest impact over time? So for example, when we go into a new community or when we, you know, consult on that, we ask them, does the mayor have a colony of cats, you know, behind his house or a clouder? And if the answer is yes, then that's where you go first. That that's going to have the greatest impact. So it's, T TNR tends to be people who are more, not, not, more capable of being strategic, but who in, in their practices have to be more strategic. So I have always felt like the goal was not to make things perfect, but just to make them better. Oh my gosh. Write that down. Tattoo it on my forehead. Thank you. <laughs> Tattoo. Well, Seriously. <laughs> well, it's, it's served me well, you know, because you see a lot of, you, you deal with thousands of street cats. You see a lot of really bad stuff. But as long as you see that it's improving, you you know, for me, that's the fuel that's always, always kept me going. So are we going to save every cat in the burn zone? Probably not, but we're going to save most of them and as close to all of them as we can. Thank God you've got such a good handle on that because you couldn't do it otherwise, right? No, you couldn't. Well, well, but that's why we have rescuers because it's well, important yes. to have those people. Well, yeah, it takes both. It takes both ends it, of the spectrum. It's the eating yeah. alive. You know, a cat, a cat, a kitten, a black kitten appeared in my backyard a, a summer ago, a little over a year ago. I tried to ignore her. Um, I pretend <laughs> I didn't see her. Sorry. But then I kept thinking she's going to make babies and she's going to uh, bring her in. So, yeah, 11 instead of 10. And... Um, <laughs> And I felt good about that. So and a couple weeks later, I don't remember where I was. And my daughter sends me a picture of a cat that looks almost identical to her with her babies. And I'm guessing it's her sister. And then I felt like a failure because I didn't fix her too. And she's out populating the earth. And Rita said, Linda, stop. Because we go to each other with these things. We do. She said, one cat over X number of years with its Eight population, years. their population, their population, their population, 2 million cats. That's right. You stopped 2 million cats. But I struggled with the feeling that, yes, but I didn't stop that other 2 million cats. <laughs> <So> <laughs> so, Linda, but we're in still, the rescue end. Yeah. And you all, she lives in a small town, so do I. They didn't have TNR at that moment. You, Your community has since gotten a TNR group, which is awesome. And they're the ones that are going to concentrate on 
preventing the future generations from happening. Yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. You, We've all got our space yeah. working together. That is why we chose the name Cat Behavior Alliance, Alliance. because while cat behaviorist is our thing, anything that affects a cat affects behavior. Hey, honey, those ferals in your yard affect your cat's behavior. If yes, spraying on the walls. Let me tell you why that's happening. So. Every aspect is our thing, but we have to focus, I guess, on staying in our lane and doing what we can do, right? We have to take a little break for our sponsor. Okay, hold um, that on. But we'll be right back. We'll continue Brian's thought. And I also want to ask, how did you get involved with cats? From being a lawyer to being uh, a TNR advocate. That's interesting. <laughs> we'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And we're back with 19 cats and counting my BFF, Ryder Diamond Hall, and Brian Cortese. Am I saying your name right? Well, I like the way that sounds. <laughs> I know. It sounds very exact as a Cortese. 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 Oh, you're with neighborhoodcats.org. Your wife is the executive, executive director. Okay. And you are the national programs. National programs. And you were a co-founder of the whole shebang to start, correct? That is correct. I love that you guys have made it a couple's affair. That's just amazing. How did you get started on this route from a Manhattan lawyer to a Maui rescue TNR person? Yes, quite the journey. Well, it started on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, where I lived at the time. And I wasn't, I wasn't really involved in animal welfare. I had, had a couple of friends you know, who were rescuers um, and would occasionally help them out in my role as an attorney. But that was pretty much it. So one day, one afternoon, I was walking by an empty uh, lot near near where I live. It was just a grassy, grassy lot, and I saw um, I saw a kitten playing in the grass, and I immediately thought, "Well, I'll just you know pass this little guy on to my rescue friends, and you know feel very good about myself and job well done." Um, and then I saw two more. You know, we're talking like eight week old kittens, and I thought all right, this is still manageable. You know, I can still pass this on. And then I saw two more and I had this sinking feeling like my life was forever changed. And, <laughs> and it was. <laughs> <laughs> and it was. You know, I started poking around the neighborhood that, and there were 30 feral cats that were living in this courtyard. Wow. It all sprung up over the last two years because a couple of cats showed up, somebody started feeding them, didn't fix them. Two years later, 30, 30 cats. So that's what happens. I did what I think I like any really good citizen would do in a situation like that. 
which is I tried to find somebody else who would take care of the problem for me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I that called right. shelters, I called uh, rescue groups, and uh, I found out this situation that I encountered was repeated literally thousands of times throughout New York City, and there were no resources available. Wow. So uh, do, do you have, you know, Anitra Frazier? She, she wrote the book, The Natural Pen. Oh. She was a neighbor and she suggested uh, trap near to return. And I thought that's a ridiculous idea. You know, you take that <laughs> yeah, put them back in an urban environment. You know, how could you do anything more cruel than that? Right? <laughs> I know. But then you figure out feral cats don't really want to be in our house. Well, given the lack of any alternatives, we decided to try it to see how, and it, and it, it was very successful. We, we were able to find placement for about 20 of the kittens, which I would never do again, but I didn't know any better. So, you know, we socialized the four month olds and we found them homes. And so, I mean, never do that again. And then we, we spayed, neutered and returned the adults and all the problems in the neighborhood went away overnight and they stopped obviously having more kittens. And then eventually the clouder dies out and there's no yeah. more problem. Yeah, eight years later, they were gone. The block over heard about what we did and they wanted it. You know, there was literally a feral colony in every inner block. So I we bet. just went throughout, we, we went throughout the Upper West Side um, fixing, fixing colonies of cats because that's where everybody lived, the, mm -hmm. all the founders of the organization. And uh, a couple of years later, you know, my co founders were much more ambitious than I was. They wanted to go citywide and they thought this was a great solution. And I, I just wanted to get back to work. You're like, I got to be in court, dude. Just let me go. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I did my bit, you know, I, uh, but they were like, wow, this could be such a great thing. We went to animal control and said, hey, would you support, you know, Trap New to Return? Because it was kind of unknown at the time. So they went into their, intake data and compared the zip codes where we'd been working on the west side to the rest of the city and we they had a drop of about close to 75 percent intake wow there's where we were going that's huge and then they said yeah. yes please continue yeah, yes they said please continue <laughs> how can we help you and it just kind of then we started working with the aspca that's headquartered in new york city and uh the local groups and we did this 300 cat project on rikers island which is a uh, massive jail uh that's there and that took out the press loved that right because the, the cats were free and the people were in cages so you know that got Good a lot point. Of, yeah, i've read about those programs you know and it was in cat uh cat fancy and they had they had little bars on the pages you know <laughs> and uh so yeah well look one thing led to then we started um teaching workshops because we couldn't TNR every cat in New York City ourselves, and then right. we wrote books, and then we started working with trap manufacturers, and it's just a program that has continued to grow, you know, uh, to this day. Uh, my wife and I decided we wanted to change from from Manhattan, so Maui was uh, started with the same two letters and was as far away as possible. So <laughs> you can't call me to <laughs> New York for an Exactly, I understand that. <laughs> Yeah, we just we just thought this would be kind of a fun place to live, and they definitely needed us. There's a, there, you know, at the time, um, all the shelters in Hawaii had like eighty percent euthanasia rates for cats, and the conservation community here is extremely strong. So they were airing commercials against cats, if you can believe it. Um, 
and all this stuff did was uh, suppress the cat, you know, was keep the cat overpopulation going <laughs> really strong, right? So we introduced um, spay neuter. At the time, I worked with PetSmart Charities, and I was able to arrange funding so they could open a high volume clinic on Maui. Nice. And you know, fast forward five six years, and um, all the shelters have eighty percent live release rates. Nice uh, for cats. You and completely they, flipped and, that. You know, not can't take all the credit. We were well, one, okay. The, one the factor. Group, yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, all this is team effort, but it takes somebody to organize and spearhead and be the voice for. And that's what you and your wife have done. We like to think that we at least played a, a, a major role in it. Uh, yeah, you know, I would say you um, did. You know, it was, it's sort of like you, you need the, the local population to be ready and to have people who, who are, you're just unleashing energy. You're not really creating it yourself. So when we first got here, you know, with all the anti-cat stuff that was literally on TV, uh, we thought it's going to, the first year is just going to be talking to people. Right. And trying to explain to them about TNR and why it's a good right. thing. Education. That, mm -hmm. Yeah. And that you're not going to solve your wildlife issues or, you know, endangered species issues if you don't fix these cats. That's true. To our surprise, open arms from day one. People were so happy when we said, hey, we'll get your cats fixed. It won't cost you anything. We'll do all the work for you. They were like, they just up. wanted a solution. They didn't necessarily exactly. want the cats to die. They just needed a solution to the problem. Exactly. When I said that, exactly. I said, if you love cats, you should care about this because these cats aren't getting vet care and da-da-da-da-da. If you hate cats, you should care about this because you don't right. want them in your yard. So one exactly. way or another, TNR is the way to go for everybody. Like, there's just no argument here, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah, you love them or hate them. You want the them spayed or neutered. Yes, exactly. I visited someplace when I was in Maui, and this was in 2006, so I don't remember where it was. But I, there was this place where everybody went, all the tourists went to visit and feed a bunch of cats that were, they were like down. Not like the lanai. You're looking down something, over. Something, it wasn't remember. the sanctuary. Oh, it wasn't that. Okay. They were all wild cats, and, and all, all the visitors were there feeding them, but they were all TNR. So it must have been after you came along. <laughs> well, there was TNR activity before. Just not to the degree, right? Right, exactly. It was unorganized, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. There, you know, it was local grassroots groups who would fly a vet in from the mainland and do, you know, do a couple of clinics. So they were fixing about maybe 1,500 to 2,000 cats a year. But the, the local humane society had a four-month waiting list just for pet cats wow. um, to get fixed. So the total capacity on the island was no more than maybe... 3,000 at the most. And so that's triple now. So wow. do you have other communities uh, get into TNR and replicate the programs that you started? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a big part of what we do. Good, good, good. We need you here in Lancaster, South Carolina, because they don't. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, Same. here in my little town, you know, there was argument about it. And then the local rescue group would team up to wipe out the, you know, the the unneutered and unspayed cats in this trailer park. But two years later, it's back because nobody's consistent with it, right? So not just that lady... people drop off in trailer parks are a prime location where people drop. Oh the cats. yes. So yeah, yeah. Lady from the Humane Society went to the city council and said, okay, here's what we want to do. And it was actually geniusly, stupidly simple. Um, you got some ferals in your neighborhood, you call us. We drop the traps off and set them up. You call us when something catches. We'll come pick them back up. We'll get them neutered. We'll drop them back off in your backyard. Done. Couldn't be easier, right? 
Yeah. But you need yeah, a group that, to spearhead that and to, you know, get the traps and the vets and, and yeah, the volunteers to do all this. Yeah. It's it's an organized definitely, you know, requires organization and funding and the more organized and the more funding, the faster that things get solved. Again, it's that not everywhere's doing it, not everything is perfect yet, but compared to when, you know, we started neighborhood cats, the the practice of trap near to return is, you know, a thousand times oh, yeah. uh, more more prevalent. It's it's become one of the things that we identified early on was so when when trap near to return was introduced to this country, it was by um, Alley Cat Allies, which is a, a national community cat group as well, and um, but they got they got a lot of they got attacked a lot when they first introduced. Oh yeah, they a got, lot of people didn't even know what you'd say TNR, and they were like, "What's that?" Uh, they they were accused of committing abandonment. Um, so the shelter system thought it was inhumane. The conservationists, you know, hated it. Uh, animal control thought there shouldn't be stray cats on the streets. Oh, the goodness. public health people thought the cats were all going to give everybody rabies. So development of trap near to return in this country was very grassroots and done by kind of somewhat militant individuals who were like, I don't care what you're whether you like it or not, I'm going to do it because I know it's the right thing. So that served the movement well in the beginning. But when we came along, what we recognized was it, you'll only get so far with that approach. It has to become mainstream. It has to become the normal way of managing these yeah. cats. So we started working with the ASPCA and with the Humane Society of the United States to change their policies and their programs and their educational materials. And I think we were successful in mainstreaming TNR so that- Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So now in most communities, it's normal. Yes. But most it, but everyone it, knows what if you say TNR, what that means, right? right. Unless they're really far away. Yeah. 15 years community. ago when we were talking yeah, about this, people were like, and then they, we would- invariably get the response well that's cool why not just give put them in homes well sure there's not enough homes that's why there's not and those feral cats don't want to be in our homes they're freaking out they are literally trapped wild animals they're panicked they think they're in a structure like if we got you know nabbed by a lion and taken back to his den that has got to be what they're well, they don't understand the concept of walls i remember the first feral kitten i took in and she just was like, she was trying to figure out how to run out the window and how to climb up the walls. It was <laughs> awful for baby. It, it terrorized her more than releasing would have done. Well, you wouldn't try to bring the squirrels into your house, right? Right. Well, some people do, but that's a whole nother topic. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that that like was a whole nother good, show. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's about, it's about respecting the nature of that individual and feral is not a black or white it, it's a behavioral condition mm -hmm. it's a socialization level so some cats are more feral than you know it's it's really kind of a spectrum and you know on one end you've got your lap cat right who just wants to cuddle with you all day on the other end you've got a, a really a wild animal who, who you only yeah. see at three in the morning and then you have everything in between and sometimes in the course of a cat's life they'll go they'll be feral at one point and friendly at another and um we've seen that Definitely. yeah you have, yeah. To, have to be open in to, our homes to, a label is a snapshot uh, whether they're you know what their socialization level is a snapshot at that time um, how can people help your group brian how can they support tnr and your organization neighborhood cats specifically well you know donations we're a nonprofit, so everything that we do is funded uh neighborhoodcats.org right yep yep so we're right now we're running um a wildlife a wildfire relief fund 
um, because we're, you know, uh, Susan Richmond, my wife and I are pretty much, we've been doing nothing but work in the, in the burn zone for two months straight. So that kind of takes away from fundraising and things like that. So whatever support we can get that way is great. Also, uh, Maui Humane Society, if people want to help out with the wildfire effort, uh, there's an awful lot of very friendly cats who could use a home. Yes. And um, they have a program where they will pay for transportation to adopters on the mainland and uh, arrange all the paperwork and the transport. So, um, yeah. And then they have um, they have an Amazon wish list, which where people can buy food for what we drag up there and put out every day. So. You know, you can help neighborhood cats directly, but also you can go to MauiHumaneSociety.org and a lot of ways to help there too. I'll definitely include those links in the write-up uh, oh, once you. this is posted. Yes. People will be it's able a, to get know, to those a, links. It's a really good point. Like I can't go. I mean, I, my, I'm, my heart is breaking for these cats that are in this burn zone right now. Okay. I'm going to be thinking about this for days and I can't fix that. But if I had room in my home to take in one cat from the shelter, that's one cat from the burn zone that can go into the shelter. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, it's not really a capacity issue. It's not like the issue is, oh, the shelter can't hold enough. I mean, they can't, but the real issue is placement. It's the flow out. And as cats flow out, we can bring more in. So any, anything in every cat, you know, every time we can bring one more out, that's a, that's a win. Yeah. I'm sure some of those pets lost their owners too, because a lot of people died in those fires. There's a lot yet. Or lost their homes or have nowhere to go back to. Yeah, I mean, sadly, yeah, about a hundred. I think it's. I'm not sure what the count is. It's like 99 people died. It's too so many. That, that, that's a huge loss. Um, but you do get a lot of people who are living in thousands of people living in hotels now. Yeah. And Maui was a tough place for low for affordable housing to begin with. Yeah. And it's an even tougher place for housing that allows pets. So yeah, a lot of owners can't take their cats back right now. There, there are foster to. programs, but that's a short-term solution. So, yes, yeah, some of them have had to surrender their animals, and uh, they need a new home. It is hard. Oh, I want to keep talking to. I know we're gone. I over, know, but, but we're, I could, <laughs> we're out of time. We could just talk to you forever, Brian. No, thank you. Likewise, is here. Um, <laughs> we'd love the conversation. to have you. We'd love to have you back on anytime. Oh, sure, I would love to. So those links again. It was uh, neighborhoodcats.org, Maui. Humane Society. Maui Humane Society.org. And I will put them in the write up when we post the show. Any last thoughts or words for us, Brian? Well, just thanks so much for what you're doing. You know, in well, right elevating the you. status of cats and, and covering all the different topics and um, just your openness and knowledge. And, uh, you know, thanks for having me. Well, we appreciate the education. Thanks. We're schooled in behavior, not all the other things. That's so right. we appreciate those of you who are doing A, the things that we cannot do in the places we cannot do. And B, we appreciate you for educating us on it so that we can be more effective. That's true. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And Linda, I'm always grateful to have you by my side because you are just, you're so gifted when it comes to speaking. And that's not my scared. forte. You are just, <laughs> and I'm like, uh-oh. Okay, that was a good answer. We'll take that one off. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We're BFFs, so you know we kid a lot. And your cat's now telling me what he thinks of me. Yeah, he's telling me <laughs> Thank you, Deadpool. <laughs> Mark Winter, our awesome producer who gave us the spot on Pet Life Radio. We are forever grateful. And just remember, everyone, that every day is Catterday. We'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.